Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Sunday special podcast coming right at you. Hello. Welcome back to Ion College Basketball. If you're watching live, thank you on a Sunday afternoon in late July. We appreciate you. That is Adam Finkelstein. If you're listening to the podcast, you'll hear him momentarily. I, of course, am Matt Norlander. Gary Parrish, where is he? Well, GP actually had some CBS Sports Network duty in New York City. And since this podcast is going to be a recruiting special, I've been on the road Finkelstein obviously has been as well. Wanted to bring in, you know, an actual expert. As fun as it would be to do a seven-minute podcast with Paris talking about guys he didn't see in person, Adam, we're going to dodge that entirely. Thanks for joining me, man. How you doing? I'm great, thanks. I think it's admirable that you guys don't, you know, most guys in in the the national college basketball media come to Peach Jam for about 36 hours and and say they're experts at the end of it. So I, I, uh, I celebrate your choices here. I actually was at the now normally I'm, I'm normally at Peach Jam for about four days, but okay. this year I actually was at Peach Jam for about 36 hours. That's for a different story. That's a teaser. I won't reveal what that is. You'll see it on the site later this week. We're going to start this podcast. We're going to talk about a ton here. If you're interested in Gigi Jackson, DJ Wagner, Mo Elite won the actual Peach Jam. If you're curious about guys at the top in 23, maybe a couple of good 24 guys, and yes, even a couple of 25 guys. We're going to try and hit on a lot of national themes here, a lot of programs to get covered, a lot of players to know about. Adam's going to tell you all you need to know, but we actually kind of unexpectedly need to start this episode with news that I broke minutes before we went live here. And this had been gaining a little bit of steam you know, at these events. Uh, Bill Self coach of the Kansas Jayhawks, and his assistant, Curtis Townsend, they were taken off of the road for the live July period for the entire month. Uh, to be clear here, some coaches, uh, when I first got tipped to this, some coaches believe it was spring and summer. I can't actually confirm that it was definitely spring. There's a potential for that as well, but they were 100% off the road for the live July period. This obviously stems back to the years-long NCAA case. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast and getting to it late Sunday or Monday, uh, Nada, let's just make sure we put that news or that headline in the pod description on YouTube and in the pod, be it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, et cetera. You can go read it there. Just a quick headline there. But this is significant. It's Bill Self, one of the best recruiters of the past two decades, coming off a national championship and not being able to be on the road at these events. There's more to the recruiting than just showing up and being at the games, as Adam Cannon will attest to. But still, I mean, let me just put it to you this way, Adam. Significant that self and that's two of the four that coaches can have programs have four guys on the road ahead and usually three assistants, but you get four people across the country. They were down two of these guys in July. From a practical standpoint, in your opinion, Adam, how impactful is this for Kansas to not have self be able to see these games? And oh, by the way, it's it's to be determined whether or not self can even now. Maybe I want to be clear on this before I tee you up. Maybe self and Townsend can be texting these guys, but some schools in the past have actually put an outright ban, no contact period. You can't be on the road, and if you're on this uh, suspension, if you will, you can't contact recruits. So we don't know if that's the case with Bill Self, but be it if it's not or if it is, just not being at the games to be able to say you were there, your head coach Adam. How damaging is or isn't this for a program like Kansas as its case continues to go without near resolution here? 
you know, coming off a national championship, I don't think this is all that damaging to Kansas. And what I would offer as proof to that is the fact that no one even recognized it until the last day of the recruiting period. You just broke the news about 20 minutes before the final game of the summer ended. And the reason why that's relevant is because you can usually tell a school's recruiting priorities based on the locations of a head coach and the schools in which Kansas is recruiting against was no doubt making that point. You know, you're going up, whoever it is you're recruiting, um, if they're recruiting against somebody else, that other school saying, hey, where's Coach Self? We've got our head coach here. So the fact that it didn't come to the forefront of people's attention until the final day of the period is, to me, indicative of the fact that, hey, this isn't necessarily as big of a deal as we think. As you mentioned, this is rooted all the way back in the FBI case of years ago. In my mind, Kansas has already gotten over kind of the negative impact that that case had in their recruiting. We saw them just deliver a monster recruiting class last year. So when you're riding that type of wave of momentum, both a star-studded incoming recruiting class as well as a national championship, the fact that Bill Self isn't on the road in July, in my mind, is not that big of a deal long-term. Uh, and getting feedback from a few coaches, uh, some echoed that exact thing. Some thought it was notable, and I would agree with this take in that Kansas privately has been fighting tooth and nail pretty much almost every single allegation in detail in the notice of allegations from the NCAA and from the IARP and trying to hope that they can win out with its lawyers and, and beat this process, even though there are five level one allegations against Kansas that includes a lack of institutional control, which has been a biggie in years past in terms of a postseason ban. Bill Self has a coach control charge. I'm not going to completely run down the history of this Kansas case. In fact, if you've listened to this podcast for any amount of time, we have talked about the Jayhawks and this specifically. So you're more than likely familiar with it. Uh, whether it affects how good Kansas's recruiting class will be is interesting. There has been a precedent in years past with Blue Bloods, North Carolina obviously comes to mind. The cases were not remotely the same, but Carolina was caught in the muck for years and years and years with the academic case. It did. Roy Williams talked about it on the record. It did have an impact on the recruiting. With Kansas, this has been going on and on, but this is the first indication of compliance on behalf of half of Kansas with the with the NCAA and the IRAP, Adam. You know, and I it, think it did, I think it did impact Kansas in recruiting uh, without question initially. In fact, you could almost argue the fact that the team they just won the national championship with they got multi year players because of the fact that they couldn't get kind of the the one and done or two and done type prospects that they were getting uh, before the case happened. So. I do think it impacted them in recruitment as to, you know, kind of the other variables in terms of what it might mean for, for their case. I'm admittedly not the expert on that, but in terms of what it means for the recruits who are contemplating their move and is Kansas any less um, uh, appealing because Bill Self is in front, front and center. I don't believe that to be the case. Yeah. And you would know that as well, really as anyone there. Uh, what we don't know is how long this is going to last was, you know, will this be just the thing that ends in July? Coaches can go again in about mid September to see recruits in person, see them at their high schools or at their prep schools. Uh, there's no game action again, basically until November. Um, right. and, and the key component here again is whether or not uh, like coach, you know, recruits like to have communication with some coaches, whether or not that's just some of the staff, or uh, the entire staff remains to be seen. But it is But it is a new spec. Go ahead, Adam. And I, I think that's far more important. They need to be able to talk and communicate to the head coach. They don't necessarily need to see him sitting front row because if they can communicate with him, he's sitting here watching the stream just like everybody else and providing feedback and they're in constant communication. It's really not a big deal. If they can't talk to the head coach, at that point, I think it becomes a potential obstacle. 
As if anyone's listening, wondering, well, when's this Kansas case going to get resolved? Uh, that remains to be seen. I have been told by sources and got, that got reiterated to me today. Uh, you know, Bill Self and Kansas have not gone uh, in front of the fire, if you will, and, and had their major hearing that they're awaiting for. Like, I don't I, I, I don't know if this has been reported or not, but um, like Penny Hardaway in Memphis, they already did that. Uh, you know that they've already had their hearing. So the Memphis, which is not FBI related, they the James Wiseman thing. Memphis is on a track to be resolved before Kansas. That's been the, the case the whole time. Arizona still has months to go. LSU still has months to go. The hope I think with Kansas was that this would be resolved by the time this, the season started. I guess there's still a window for that, but they have not gone uh, and and faced the jury here and had self sit down in Indianapolis. We wait and see. When that happens. All right, that's the news peg. Let's go big picture here. Our annual Peach Jam special. That's going to be, frankly, the best one yet. All right, so Mocan, coincidentally enough, a program that obviously Kansas is quite connected to. Mocan, short for hello, Missouri, Kansas. They win Peach Jam. We'll get to that in a second. I do want to, I, I feel like there are actually multiple news pegs coming out of Peach Jam, Adam. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. I think we have to start with Gigi Jackson only because now it was expected. He was going to reclassify and then he was going to commit to South Carolina. So we can take this a number of ways. I'm going to let the floor is yours, my man. But what it like, let me, let me cue you up this way. One, Gigi Jackson reclassifying. Is, is he still in your mind now the number one player in 22? And two, for South Carolina fans that are juiced about this, big picture, how impactful do you think he's going to be with the Gamecocks this season? I say that because in talking to a few coaches – some of the feedback I got was interesting talent, but some coaches who saw them saw him aren't even convinced that he's going to be like a top 25 level player in college next season. But do you disagree with that assessment from some coaches who saw him in person? Well, there's two levels to this evaluation in my mind. There is how he projects at the college level and then how he projects at the NBA level, because with this move, he's now eligible for the 2023 NBA draft. So We'll start with with college. Um, you asked the question, is he the top-ranked prospect in the class of 2022? The answer to that is no. Um, Nick Smith, who's going to Arkansas, will maintain that spot. Frankly, I don't think he's number two either. I think that that goes to Derek Lively, who's, who's going to Duke. Um, the 2023 recruiting class, even with the amount of players that it lost, uh, whether through overtime elite, G League, or reclassifying to 2001, is still a much better group than the class of 2023 from top to bottom. Uh, the reason why that's important is because it speaks to the, the caliber of the subsequent draft. So Gigi Jackson, while he would have been, remained the top-ranked prospect in the high school senior class of 2023, um, as a college freshman, he's, he's you know top five, maybe top 10, um, but not number one. And he is an interesting talent. He is a guy who is... Um, certainly provides, and, and listen, let's start with this. For Lamont Paris, home run, obviously. I believe this was the initial plan with Frank Martin. When Frank Martin was the head coach at South Carolina, it had been widely speculated that Gigi Jackson would commit there, would end up reclassifying and ending up there as soon as, uh, this, potentially even earlier than he did, did now. Um, so this, I believe, was the initial plan. There was some speculation that he always wanted to go to North Carolina. I think uh, there were it was a little bit of a divided house in terms of his parents and where they wanted him. But when Frank Martin gets fired, it opens things back up because they had been very clear with that administration that Frank Martin was their guy. So Frank Martin gets fired anyway. And at that point, that's where North Carolina becomes the option. 
Obviously, Lamont Paris comes in. They continue to work that. They flip the commitment. And the fact that he becomes draft eligible a year earlier is significant because at North Carolina, the roster is much better. They don't have the immediate opportunity for GG to go in and make the splash that he can now theoretically make it South Carolina. The question is, and you alluded to this, what is he capable of doing year one for a first year head coach on a roster that is not considered to be in the top half of the SEC? For me, that is a fair question. I think offensively, he's a guy that right now really wants to stretch his game to the perimeter. He calls himself, you know, he want, he's a four who wants to be a three who's actually closer to a five, in my mind. Um, he's at his best around the rim where his physical tools can really shine, but he shows potential putting the ball on the floor and long-term as a shooter. That's going to be more important, I think, um, when you start to project him out to the NBA. But what he's not is a polished shot creator or someone you can build your half-court offense around next year to the point many of the coaches you talked to were making. So, and then from an NBA standard, you project him out and you say, okay, we think he's going to be able to shoot. We think he's going to be able to put the ball on the floor a couple of times, but is he as versatile defensively as, as we want him to be? And that's been the concern that I've heard the most from NBA scouts, because those have been the people I've been talking to most. Um, And they said, you know, they list him at six, nine, he may be six, eight in our world. He's closer to a five and that prototype there's just not a high demand for it right now. So we need to see how mobile and how switchable he is next year at South Carolina. So to summarize, I think he certainly makes an impact at South Carolina. It's a great boost of momentum, but this is not a, a plan that is without risk. He's going to have all eyeballs on him. Uh, NBA scouts are going to be watching his every move. Local South Carolina fans are going to be watching his every move. There is going to be a lot of pressure on a young freshman who's coming in without having the benefit of summer session and really going to be looked on as a bit of a savior. And I'm not sure he's quite ready for all that. You're hitting on so many themes that I've heard from coaches. First of all, I'm an absolute height truther with Gigi Jackson. He ain't 6'9". Uh, I just, <laughs> he's not. Like, and whatever. Just He's he's 6'8". If he was like 6'7 and 3 quarters, I'd believe him. But they're, they're, as you well know, like NBA people, they care about that stuff a ton. He's, yeah. not, he's not that big. The shot creation, it's like blatantly obvious when you see him and when you see him in person. I did get to see him in person at Peach Jam. He had a, a showcase game against uh, the New Jersey Scholars that CP, CP3 won. But a coach was telling me that they, they're they rooting for him to do well, but for both him and Lamont, this concoction has so much potential downside to it in terms of you're going to bring this guy in. Lamont's been with the rest of the team. Like maybe they had designs on getting him and all that stuff, but you're going to – you know, how quickly will the chemistry work? How much should be on Gigi Jackson's shoulders? He's a local product. It's South Carolina basketball. What should be the level of expectation there? Yeah, if you're a South Carolina fan, you should be extremely excited that this guy's coming. But I just had a few coaches. Because I, what I try and do is the coaches that have seen like seen him play like you in person way more times than I, just give me a feel of like what you see with this guy and I even had one coach tell me he doesn't even see him as a, a as a one and done talent. Like he thinks that he's going to get to college and and actually prove to be like kind of maybe he'll go after the first year, Adam, and and be like the twenty first pick or whatever. But really, in terms of him blooming to where he could go to the NBA and, and have more immediate impact, one coach who's power conference coach was saying he wouldn't be surprised to see if it took Jackson two years. Well, that to me is the other variable that's really interesting because, as I alluded to, the 2023 NBA draft, this is next June, is projected to be a really good one. 
So rushing, you know, kind of rushing to the money, which we've seen a lot of kids like, like Jalen Duran and Imani Bates did this exact same thing last summer. They played Pete Sham and then they said, hey, I'm going to college in Jalen Duran's case so I can get to the, the draft as far as I can. I even think Imani Bates, perhaps foolishly, I think his camp thought they were going to be able to get to the draft, even though he wasn't age eligible, but they thought somehow they were going to be able to get some sort of exception. So this is this is not abnormal. Jonathan Kaminga did the same thing. There's a long list. But the 2023 draft is a very good one right now. 2024, which equates to this current high school year that Gigi Jackson just left, that's one where we can't figure out who the new number one is. I know we're going to get into that later, but like that's a draft that that you know, if I were in charge of a a prospect or advising a prospect, I'd say, hey, you got a lot more upside in that one. Uh, A lot chance to go higher in the draft. And given the state of NIL right now, maybe we can bridge this gap, keep you in high school for a year. Because here's the other thing, Matt. Kids are getting NIL to stay in high school. Uh, So, you know, you can, you know, there were ways to kind of, uh, in years past, it's, it's, as I said, a run to the money. But I do think there were, there was kind of a a strategy uh, on the board that could have showcased his abilities and protected him a little bit more. I mean, he is fully exposed in this year at South Carolina. I'm not saying he's not going to do well. I'm just saying we're going to find out because this is not a situation that is tailor made to protect him. Uh, by the way, if uh, if you are listening to this podcast and are like, what's up with New Orleans audio? I'm still on the road. I will be traveling back home soon. Uh, so that's just a quick explainer. Normally, my audio is a little bit better. Let's talk number one players real quick. Uh, and if you want, let's go 23 class and 24 class. 23, uh, uh, DJ Wagner is number one in the, in the composite, I believe. Uh, but there's a couple of viable options, including one of Wagner's teammates. For you personally, where is your opinion on this? And did it shift? Or are you sticking with what it was, say, going into July? Uh, who should be the number one player in the in the 23 class? Um, I, I would tell you that in, you know, 12 years of, of doing this at ESPN prior to, to joining um, 24-7 and, and uh, CBS in, in April, this is the hardest year that I ever had in terms of figuring out who is who is the top guy. Um, because DJ Wagner would have had the best case coming into the month. Um, if for no other reason that, um, he has the best resume to date. So depending on what you're basing your rankings on, if you're basing it on who's the best player right now, um, DJ Wagner, his, he's done the most over the course of his high school career, but, um, just to call a spade a spade, he did not have a great month. He really struggled at the peach jam. Yeah. He didn't have a he didn't have a great showing with USA Basketball, even though they won a gold medal in Spain in the weeks before that. So um, he had a chance to really secure this spot, and he didn't do it. I mean that that game you talked about with with scholars and CP3, even though it was packed with coaches and fans, it was a consolation game. They were already out. Neither one of those teams, who were both among the most talented in the EYBL, even won their pool. So, um, you know, DJ Wagner, you know, he may still end up number one. He's certainly in the conversation, but he didn't seize that spot. Um, Xavier Booker's a, a prospect who actually plays on an independent team. So he was not at the Peach Gym. He's one of the most naturally talented guys in the class. So if you're betting on upside, maybe you're thinking about him. Um, but in terms of production right now, he, he's not it. Um, Justin Edwards, a guy who's, who's scheduled to commit tomorrow, uh, CBS HQ. Um, you know, up and down there, there's just not a definitive number one right now. No one has seized the spot. So to be totally transparent about my process, I'm going to do a, I came out of Pete Jam unsure of who's mm-hmm. going to be number one. 
and intent to do a deep dive in the days uh, to come, really digging into all their game film, doing my due diligence behind the scenes and trying to see who, who projects out best because no one has seized that spot in 2023. And to be honest with you, 2024 is the same story. Um, Trey, Jack, uh, Trey Johnson, Ian Jackson, guys like that who are making a case. The, the, the most star-studded class we have right now is 2025. And those, those are 15-year-olds. And I think that's why you saw so many you know, people, um, national media like yourself, who go to the Peach Jam, who start tweeting about 15-year-olds. Because 2023 and 2024 just don't have the star power that we are accustomed to seeing. A lot of that is because kids have departed, um, whether it's G League Ignite or Overtime Elite. But this is just, as of yet, we, ha- we don't have the same star power in these classes that we are accustomed to seeing. Yeah, real quick for me on Wagner. I loved him last year. Uh, yes, and and I actually still think that he has such tempting and fun. And this is, again, this is all relative. We're talking about literally who is going to be the number one player in high school basketball. Okay, so DJ Wagner does not suck, but he no. has had a rough stretch here. Talked to multiple coaches who saw him in Team, in, in team USA, and his shot was not falling. That kind of continued here at Peach Jam and if you are someone who thought, you know, Wagner is, is more suited to be slotted, say, four, five, six, seven, uh, whether where, that's where he's currently or how he projects, uh, you know, sometimes these projections obviously want to reflect, well, uh, once these guys get into the NBA, I can understand that. I would still bet on Wagner, but it's undeniable that he hit a swoon here that was a little bit unexpected. We'll see if he can get it back together. Uh, since he is such a big name, I'll put you on the spot real quick. Uh, and for people that might not be aware of where you may or may not be leaning with this, um, even if you think it's a toss-up, DJ Wagner eventually is playing in a college uniform at which university, uh, Adam? Because that's another one where, like, college coaches, like, they're just bringing up these conversations. They ask me, right. well, where's Wagner going to play? Man, I don't know. Like, I, 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 you're, I, I'm happy to talk about it with you. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but I, I, what I would say right now is that the intel sounds more Kentuckyish. But obviously, his grandfather is now on staff at uh, at Louisville, so this one is not over until it's over. Um, you know, Aaron Bradshaw, who is his his been his teammate at Camden High School and also with New Jersey Scholars, those one their recruitment seems intertwined, but uh, perhaps in a opposite sort of way, you know, it's very conceivable that one ends up at Louisville and one ends up at Kentucky. Um, And so, yeah, to me, um, I I would, if I had to guess today, I would say Kentucky is the favorite, but I think it's a long way from over. And, and, you know, just a quick response to your point about the rankings for me, like rankings, isn't necessarily about who's the best player right now. But in my mind, it's more about projecting a futures market. Who's the best long-term prospect at the top of the class? Because you don't want to have a, you know, you don't want to, there's a big difference between who's the best high school player, who's the best college player, who's the best NBA prospect. And I think at the top of the class, you've got to do your best to, to account for that. Good stuff. All right. We still have plenty more to get to here. I'm going to take a quick break, but after the break, you know we have to talk about it. We are going to get to Bronny James, who had among the best weeks of anyone down at Peach Jam and anywhere across the country. We'll get to that. Plus, you heard Adam mention the 2025 guys. We're going to talk about that. There's a player named TJ Power you need to know. And other big takeaways from the rest of the week in July in recruiting. But first, a word from our sponsors. Fired up, Nada. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. 
The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right. Let's talk Bronny James here. Now, he had a legitimately very, very good process. Right? So Adam's going to lay out what you need to know about this. Uh, but let me just let me vamp for a couple of quick seconds on this, because I actually uh, with what I was doing reporting, I, I did not. I was hoping that I would get to see Bronny James in person, but I was bouncing around the country. I never saw one of his his games in person. Uh, what I've come to learn in talking to to some folks here is that from a recruitment standpoint, obviously the, it's it's a different kind of. Now, there's a question whether he'll play in college or not, but the feedback I've received from a few different sur- sources in the past couple of days is obviously the family is going to run this as much as the family has literally ever run any recruitment. We get that. That goes without saying. And Adam, the six schools I got told. And maybe there's more, and maybe the, the realist is fewer than this, but there are six schools that are kind of attached to this right now. I got USC, UCLA, Michigan, Ohio State, Memphis, and then Duke, although I was told that never count out Duke, but Duke with K versus Duke without K, that's almost like Duke by default inclusion, but again, never never discount Duke. There could be more, there could be fewer. Those are the six that I were told if Bronny James is ultimately going to go to college it seems like that's the grouping right now. Would you agree, disagree, if you've got a school to for sure put in there? You know, ironically, and I'm not going to say which one, but I, I spoke to one of the schools on this list and asked that question. Um, I said, are you guys involved there? And and the question, uh, the answer I got was no. Um, so I, I think that there is, I think that there's just a lot of questions about, about Bronny James right now. The, you know, you're starting to hear more college talk. That I will say. There was a there was a, a big assumption that he was just never going to play um, college basketball. And a lot large part of that stems from the fact that LeBron, LeBron very publicly on more than one occasion has said that his last season in the NBA will be, um, you know, with his son. Of course, there's a rule similar. We just talked about Gigi. Uh, he's got to be a year removed from high school. So whether he does a, a post-grad year, like you saw Dwayne Wade's son do a couple of years ago before he went to the, the G League, in this case with Utah's G League team, that's where Dwayne Wade's son went. Um, we don't know exactly what he will do with that year. Um, I don't know of any colleges that are actively recruiting him at this moment. I know of some that have reached out and been told that he's not interested um, through a, a third party. But it is, you know, there is, in my mind, no really good information here about what he's going to do and a ton of speculation. So uh, John Shire did watch one of his games. I can confirm that. I was at that game. 
But Cody Williams was also on the floor in that game too. So people were saying, you know, I saw the tweets, Penny Hardaway and John Shire uh, watch Bronny James. And I kind of went like, yeah, they watched Cody Williams too, you know? So who who knows, you know, which one that, that really was. So if I can interject real quick for people that aren't familiar with Cody Williams, who's the better player in your opinion, Bronny James or Cody Williams for people that don't even know who Cody Williams is. Cody Williams. Okay. All right. Just, just, yeah. Continue. Yeah. Cody Williams. Yep. Um, Cody Williams is one of the best long-term prospects in the class. I mean, he's a guy that, that is, is closer to potential than he is production right now, but, but he's a, the younger brother of Jalen Williams who just got drafted out of Santa Clara. So he's, he's a terrific prospect. So yeah, I, I don't think anybody knows exactly what Bronny's plan is. Um, what I will say is that in terms of his game, uh, we saw a clear escalation this week at the beach gym. Now, they were playing in what's called the PIT, which is basically the equivalent of the NIT. His strive for greatness squad did not qualify for the championship bracket at the Peach Jam. They didn't have a very good regular season. So they were essentially playing uh, in this B bracket all week, week long. Now, with less at stake, he did put up numbers, albeit not overly consistently, but we saw a more aggressive version of Bronny James. He's always been able to shoot the ball. Um, but we saw him kind of take over as the primary playmaker more often than not. He was able to get downhill in the open floor. He was shooting the ball well from the three-point line. As I mentioned, he's got terrific touch and layup-making ability at the rim. What's obvious is he does not have his father's size, and although he is a plus athlete, he's not an um, you know absolutely amazingly elite athlete. So um, you know there there's some things there, but he was as good and as aggressive as I have seen him this week. Is he a top 40 player in his class now after what he did? Yeah, I think I think so. Um, you know, I, I, I would you know want to go back and look at it. And again, context is important. Would he have been a top 40 uh, prospect a year ago or two years ago? Maybe not. But in this class, I think he's got a good chance. Okay. And a reminder, this class is definitely down. That's another running trope I heard. I mean, I heard that every other game I sat at over the past five days, Adam, is just how down yeah. 20, how down. 23 is in general. Um, all right, let's talk about a player. TJ Power, big rise. Um, before I continue, yes or no, did any player improve their stock more in, in the month of July than TJ Power? Well, you should probably ask somebody who hasn't seen TJ since he was 15 years old. So um, I, here's the thing with TJ. He's finally healthy. Um TJ has his whether and he's he's I will say this he's available whether it was because of his baseball career uh, you know he's a left-handed pitcher who throws in the upper 80s he shoots a basketball right-handed so um, he he has spent a lot of time playing baseball over the years he's had a few nagging injuries now that he's finally healthy and he's been healthy for the better part of the last six months his recruitment is going to the levels where you know quite frankly we and and I admittedly initially expected it to go. Um, but he's older. He's turns 19 this month, which makes him a year, year and a half, maybe two years older than some of the prospects in this class. So he is more polished and more ready to impact, uh, impact the game. So, um, he certainly helped himself and he's got a wide, uh, range of recruitment, including the blue bloods right now, but he's got to decide, does he want to go that blue blood route or does he want to go someplace where he's being recruited to be more of a focal point? It's going to be interesting. So a couple notes from me on TJ Power. Uh, yeah, 6'8 forward from Massachusetts. He's 65 in the composite at 247 as we speak. Um, after all the buzz, I guess it wouldn't be stunning to see him jump into the top 25 whenever the rankings refresh. Just based off of, like, again, the buzz. Now, it was Iowa, Notre Dame, Boston College, Virginia that were in on him. Um, 
he's taking official visits again. Like I've been, I, I don't, he's going to North Carolina Monday. He's going to Duke on Tuesday. So when you talk about if he's going to like, when you go to those schools and take those official visits, it's so easy to be wowed by that kind of stuff. And if you're a school, like, I don't know how long Boston college has been recruiting him, Adam, given where he's from. There's uh, some deep family ties there as well. In fact, okay. and, and you know what, like starting the month, the first very first day of the live period, I was in Atlanta and I walked into the Under Armour um, Association and someone almost tackled me. There was a big rumor that TJ Power had just committed to Boston College and was having the, the graphic made to the point where I'm texting, you know, various people. And I'm saying like, hey, did, you know, did, is this about to happen? And obviously, you know, Boston College would, would love that because while he would while he was a priority for them, then he's undoubtedly even more of one now. But. I do think TJ is, and he's also got Kansas. Uh, you know, yes. I mean, ironically, yeah, there, are, there are more, but I'm just saying, yeah. like immediately yep. as we record the Sunday night, like he's literally going to the, the Triangle in the next, you know, 72 hours. That, that's just yep, funny. yep. Um, I love how like it's like is the graphic getting made? The ever critical Photoshop, but you're right. Like you know, stuff like this can can get crazy. And from my perspective, Adam, TJ Power seems to be as big of a riser as anyone. Uh, throughout the month of July, whether that's true or not. I don't know. Perception-wise, he's taken a big jump. I was actually unaware of his age. Certainly, that's a factor as well with his development there. Um, can we talk a couple of the younger guys? You mentioned class of 2025. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So Cooper Flag, Cameron Boozer. Uh, Cooper Flag. I'm loving the fact, and we're going to get to another guy from Maine uh, that I saw in person out in Chicago. But Cooper Flag, like the pride of Maine. We've got dudes from Maine. There's a guy from like – Idaho that's going to go play at Virginia. I love the fact that these players that are just from these uncommon places are suddenly like becoming like major division one talents. But yes, there is a, there is a storyline developing here that 23 is down, 24 is down, 2025 might be uh, the best in terms of top end talent there. So we are going to have chances to see these guys rising sophomores, if you will, uh, in the years to come before they even step on college campus or who knows what the NBA rule will be like by the time they're actually done high school. Like there's a chance Cooper Flagg, when he's done high school, will be able to be drafted immediately into the NBA, depending on what the Players Association and the NBA agree to in their next collective bargaining, bargaining agreement in the next couple of years. That aside, Adam, what do people need to know about Flagg and Boozer? Those seem like the two biggest names, but if there's another, you know, third or fourth to know, lay it on us. Well, I, I think this is the thing. What you said is absolutely true. 23 is down. 24 is down. People are looking for something to be excited about. And so tw- 2025 provided that at the Peach Jam. But what I would offer, and I am actually have a piece coming out on this tomorrow, is just some patience. Because if we've learned anything in the grassroots basketball community in recent years, it is the fact that we can do a whole lot more harm than good by throwing these early labels on these kids. And some of the stuff that came out this week was totally irresponsible by adults who are either, you know, like trying to trade compliments for access to these 15 year old kids or just, you know, want to, want to play the, I was right first game. Um, and, and let me, is, let me acknowledge, like I was guilty of this in the past. Like I, you know, I called Imani Bates the best 15 year old I'd ever seen. Um, to be honest, he was, and still is the best 15 year old I'd ever seen. But uh, it's not just Imani Bates, Josh Jackson, Marvin Bagley, um, you know, so many other guys that we thought were absolutely elite, can't miss kids. And it's just not fair. Uh, were, I mean, Cooper Flagg was literally compared to NBA Hall of Famers uh, this week. And that is both uh, irresponsible and unfair. Um, so, listen, Cooper Flagg is a very talented young man. 
Uh, Cameron Boozer is a very talented young man. Cameron Boozer's Knight Riders elite team, they won the E15 division. So they won that, that uh, Peach Jam championship. They hammered um, Maine United, which is, is Cooper Flagg's team. It was You couldn't help but um, have some sympathy watching Cooper Flagg go through that because this was a day after kind of – I think this was on Thursday. So like the, the, the mass media had arrived on Wednesday and they started throwing out all these labels to Cooper Flagg. And then all of a sudden his team's down 18 to nothing on center court and he's, he's got to adjust to this. So I, I'm on my soapbox a little bit, but yeah. I, listen, I just think it's so counterproductive. I think the adults in the room need to just relax – it's okay to say these guys are highly talented to acknowledge their talent and still to admit that nothing is a foregone conclusion when we're talking about 15-year-old kids because that is exactly what they are. They are kids. Uh, it doesn't matter how big and strong they are at an early age. They're highly talented kids, and they've got a tremendous long-term opportunity, but um, you know, maintaining their humility and work ethic and and having good people around them, which both of these kids seem to have right now. So that's just as important as their talent. Um, that is so, so important. And tuning out all the Twitter nonsense is, is just absolutely critical. I agree with you entirely. Uh, when I went to Peach Jam last year, when the crowds weren't there, as you all know, general public wasn't allowed into that building. Uh, I, I wrote a few things, but one of the things I, I wrote was about Imani Bates, who frankly was, you know, he was fine, right? He was, the takeaway was, Amani Bates is not at the level now that uh, he was projected. I won't say promise, but like projected by everyone to be. And, you know, I think Amani Bates served as the what should be the last and final reminder uh, to just now. I understand, it's really, like, but it's not going. I mean, we saw I it know, this but, I, yeah. but but frankly, guys like you guys like me, if you have a national platform in particular and sometimes it's not even a national platform. Like I get it. There's people on the baselines taking highlights and they're going to share it on social media. And then they need a, they need a catchy all caps headline on Twitter, on YouTube to get people to watch it. And it's like, Katie likes skills at 16. Wow. You know, all this crap. We really need to do a conscientious effort and a better job collectively when I'm, I'm talking like even into 17s. Yes. You can say this player looks like the best player in his class, but like attaching these labels to players that are 16, 17 years old to guys who are literally on their way to the hall of fame, if not already there, like it needs to permanently stop because the downside can be so damaging. Not to, not to mention the fact that like the media can and should do its job. We should help tell these stories, but it's almost like, I think you kind of hit on it exactly. Uh, sometimes be it with writers or talking heads or people that are going on social media, there's almost like this race to see who can give the highest compliments early enough to say like you were in before everyone else when it shouldn't be about that. And with guys like, like Cooper Flag and, and and Boozer, really tantalizing fun players. They're super young. Let's just let them be like that. We both know we're gonna, you know, some of that current's gonna tug away anyway. But I think it was important to at least mention it again because if for whatever reason we look up and Cooper Flag is like, you know, the ninth best player in his class versus whatever, like who knows where it's going. That's um, not it's not impossible. Like here's the yeah. thing. They're 15 years old. There's some kid who's there's some kid who's six feet tall, 120 pounds right now who's gonna grow 10 inches in the next three years. And we just and, and you know what if that happens and he ends up being better than Cooper Flag, that's not Cooper Flag's fault. You know, I mean that that happens all the time. And if you look at the players who are the best in the NBA right now, there's there's some who, who popped early. There's LeBron James and Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love and guys like that. But there's also Steph Curry and Dame Lillard and Kawhi Leonard. And players players pop 
or ascend at various points. And, you know, it's just, I have such a hard time, especially at those early ages with the expectations that we put on these kids um, because we treat them like it's a foregone conclusion. And, you know, like this, this was a common theme I, I we talked about all week. And then somebody said, yeah, turn on the NBA summer league and look at the list of, of two way players. Uh, they were all guys who were promised that they were certain pros and millionaires just a couple of years ago. And now they're, they're fighting for, you know, they're, they're fighting for their livelihoods. Where's Mikey Williams ranked right now, Adam, off the top of your head. Do you know? I don't know. I admittedly it speaks don't to it. Know. Speaks yeah. to it, though, right? Like he, Mikey Wilson wasn't necessarily promised to be like you know the greatest thing, but yet another one. Of the, and again, it's not not the player's fault. We gotta do a we gotta do a better job at that. As we're on you know as we're on this little uh, soapbox, if you will, uh, give me some of your other stand. Floor is yours, my man. And I hope our listeners are really appreciating, uh, frankly, the intel, the opinions, the insight. Because again, Parrish and I. Uh, you're not, you're not getting this. You, you might get some funny random stories and digressions that make it entertaining, but I'd rather give you some meat and potatoes to the listenership. So standouts, takeaways from Peach well, Jam, July in general, like anything you want to hit on right now, lay it on us. I'd like to, you know, I, I think winning matters. So I, I'd want to start with Mocan. You know, Mocan Elite um, beat Team Takeover by one in the final game. I'm, I'm looking up right now because I'm just looking at the box score. Yeah. Um, you know, this is a team that, that did it with defense. This is like the most one of the best coach teams year in and year out does a tremendous job. They've got a variety of good players. Um, Omaha, be, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of his last name, but Bilau is uh, a five-star forward and, um, you know, strong body, versatile, inside-out, kind of college-ready four-man. John Bull is going to go to Sunrise Christian, seven-foot rim protector. Um, Trey Green is a kind of a, a microwave-type um, volume-scoring lead guard. But this is a group that did it by committee that bought into a, a team setting and that is coached like a college program. Like you go watch them. They run good stuff. They defend with, with principles, um, buy, uh, guys buy into different roles. And that's refreshing. Uh, team takeover lost in the finals. How about this stat team takeover has four different rising juniors who play on their EYBL team. Okay. And then their um, 16 and under team won the E 16 division. So they basically said, okay, we're going to take our top four young players, not have them play in the E16 division. They still won the E16s, and then the 17s finished second. So if you want an early favorite for the 2023 Peach Jam Championship, it's going to be uh, Team Takeover. So, again, I, I do think that those you know winning matters because it, it speaks to who can buy into um, the team concept. And a lot of the guys we talked about so far, even on this pod, Gigi Jackson, DJ Wagner – um, those either didn't make the peach jam to begin with, or didn't win their pool. And at some point, um, winning's got to matter in, in impacting the game in ways that, that correlate to winning that has to matter. So again, I know you said we were off the soapbox, but I slipped back on, but I did, I did want to recognize Mocan and takeover because those were the two programs that won championships, Knight Riders elite Cameron bruisers program. They won the 15 and under title. So those were the three programs that walked away with championships. And so to me, those are the players that deserve the credit coming out of the week. Uh, Mocan, uh, if I remember correctly, they won it with, uh, did they not, did they not win that with, um, with, uh, with Trey Young and Michael Porter Jr.? Is that the last time? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously that was a, a star studded roster. Yeah. Um, this is, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, this is their third EYBL championship, but this was certainly 
more of a committee effort than we've seen in the past. Different. I mean, they didn't have anybody score more than 13 points in the final game. They had, uh, let's see here. They had five players who had six or more, you know, they won the game 53 to 52. They did it with defense, but um, all week long. In fact, um, when on this, on this very podcast earlier in the week, I had suggested that I thought Mo Can was the favorite just because of how organized, well-coached and disciplined they were collectively. By the way, takeover, if you're unfamiliar, is from the greater D.C. area. So uh, as Kevin Willard is trying to uh, continue to get some momentum, in fact, I'm going to mention a couple of, of recruits here that he's going after. Uh, D.C. area takeover, uh, they are certainly looking to be set up in the years to come. They'd be pretty strong. A lot of really good talent around that. Um, let me give you a few guys here. So I was in Chicago on Wednesday. You were previously at Under Armour. These are not all elite, highly rated players, but I'm going to give you – I'll, we'll go name by name. So I'll give you the I'll give you the name. Quick hits, I like it. Hit me. Quick, what do you got? Quick hit, just quick hits on. Let's do it this way, Adam. Quizzing me publicly. Me. What could go wrong? Here we go. Yeah, you tell me uh, if you think there's a lean, what you think it is, and a quick description of the player's game. All right. Okay. These are and by me even mentioning them, they're just guys who caught my eye when I watched them in Chicago. Under Armour. Uh, to be frank, was considered to be vastly inferior this year, particularly to. Uh, the PCM that normally is the case, but there was, you know, they still had some guys. I mean, they had like 20 top 150, 170 guys. They told me at that tournament in Chicago, but it wasn't as strong as it's been. All right. So five guys, uh, my favorite of all of them, El Marco Jackson. He's from Jersey plays at South Kent in Connecticut. Uh, I couldn't help but watch this guy. He was my favorite player. I saw play at Under Armour. What's the rundown on him? Agreed. His recruitment has expanded more in the last month than maybe anybody else. He's transferring from Academy of New Church to South Kent uh, for this past season. Big power guard, listed at 6'4". As you know, as the height expert, he may be 6'3", but he is powerful. My man, I'm 6'3". He ain't 6'4". All right. So he is. he's powerful. He's got phenomenal speed. He gets downhill exceptionally well. His recruitment, Maryland was perceived as the leader at the beginning of the June of June. But this is wide open right now because he's a, a player that has really asserted himself as one of the top point guards in the country. Um, you know, maybe even, you know, behind Isaiah Collier, is he the second best point guard in the country? It's a fair question. Um, and so I think his recruitment is is uh, too wide open to call because it's really exploded in the last month and a half. Uh, just, I, you know, for my own benefit and also for listeners, you just mentioned Collier. He's not on my list, but for people trying to keep track, where in the nation, like what part of the country is he from? He's from Georgia. He uh, he tore. I think he tore. His, he's got a meniscus injury that was. He was actually playing through it at the USA Basketball U18 training camp uh, in, in early June. Um, I was down there. He was playing really well, and it was surprising when he didn't make the cut. And we were trying to figure out why because they diagnosed he had a meniscus injury. He's been out ever since. But he is the the best point guard in the country. Um, plays for the Skill Factory and was there supporting them. Uh, this weekend at the Peach Jam, but not in action, obviously. All right, so Marco Jackson's recruitment is expanding. Maryland was a perceived favorite. We'll see if uh, if Willard, for a season on the job, uh, can actually maintain that because uh, he just, yeah, I, I love his game. Uh, JP Estrella, the other player, and I hope I'm saying it, I hope I'm saying that he last, did. okay, correctly. He's from Portland, Maine. By the way, I'm going to Portland, Maine to play with to be with Guster on stage in like three weeks. So I'm I'm excited. Maine is a sleeper cool city, by the way. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's very cool. Uh, I love the fact that that that, that, that Maine's got like multiple like really awesome players. He's going to play at Brewster Academy. There was a game. 
um, Adam, where Jackson was going against Estrella, and it was it was like a peach jam game in terms of coach attendance. Tons and right. tons of power conference coaches there for both these guys. What do people need to know about Estrella, and has he been a uh, a slow ascent, or has he really turned it on, uh, you know, from from the spring to now to uh, elevate his standing in the rankings? So JP Estrella recently measured. I have documentation on this one. Six ten and a half. He lists himself at six eleven. Uh, six ten and a half. Convert uh, to put that in perspective. He was six three as a high school freshman. So he is a classic late bloomer. Um, he's still filling out, kind of growing into his body. Um, but he was, you know, I named him the top post prospect in Under Armour Association uh, because he's not a finished product. He's got touch that's going to extend outside, so his, his shot is going to project. He's got terrific hands and both hands inside the lane. He shows flashes of being an elite passer. So the bottom line is he's a late blooming big with inside out ability who really thrives in offensive structure. Now he got all the big, all the blue blood offers in, in uh, April and, and June. Um, and he's going through a similar type of process of, of TJ power. Like, okay, Duke offered me, but I'm, you know, just judging on how they're recruiting me. I'm not the priority. Um, but then I've got places like Iowa where Fran McCaffrey's at every single game and he's got a long, long list. So he's, um, he took a variety of visits before the month he's taking, he's maximizing that rule. I think he's going to end up taking like eight different official visits. So he's really, um, you know, trying to see what he wants to do. Kansas is in the mix for him as well. Um, and so it's, it's going to be, but again, too close to call. I'm not the crystal ball guy, admittedly, but there is no definitive Intel on which way he's leaning, but a skilled inside out late blooming big, uh, personal note, a side note here, Estrella plays for Middlesex magic. Uh, and I believe it's the 16s teams. Uh, the son of one Brad Stevens plays on that team. Uh, so Stevens was actually in Chicago, uh, caught up with him and Brad Stevens remains the best, my man. He was, a, it was a wonderful conversation. He's just so unassuming sitting there with his Red Sox hat on. Uh, initially, Adam, as you well know, the Peach Jam is an exception in terms of NBA scouts were there like through, I guess, Saturday or whatever. Um, that wasn't the case with the Under Armour deal. Now, uh, scouts could go to a different Under Armour events, but at first I thought Stevens was there because NBA scouts could be in the building. No, his son plays for the team. So- what yeah. you just alluded to is considered one of the biggest competitive advantages in all of grassroots basketball is that the Nike Peach Jam is certified for NBA scouts, but the Under Armour Association and the Adidas 3 SSB circuit are not. I don't know why that's the case, but that is, in fact, the case. Yeah, and, and obviously it is a major competitive advantage, um, and we'll see if that uh, if that changes next next year or not. Okay, three more players. Kerry Booth, I saw him play with you in the same gym in June in Connecticut, and then he was uh, up in Chicago. He is the son of Calvin Booth, who is now the right. former NBA player. He's now the GM of the Denver Nuggets. Uh, real quick comment for me on this one, Adam. Coaches I've talked to are split on Kerry in terms of how high he should be considered in his class. I will say when I saw him in the scholastic setting, June stuff, just so our listeners are clear, July was grassroots and and June was more, if you play with your prep school team, the competition isn't as high, but some coaches actually prefer that setting because of the kind of basketball that's played. They actually think it's a truer scout, Um, you know, your, your mileage may vary depending on the kind of coach you are, but overall Kerry Booth, I actually got, some split feedback on where do you land with him and where does he fall overall in the rankings right now? So people can kind of get an understanding because he's got, he certainly got some buzz to, uh, to his. Yeah, he was, he was the third best big man 
uh, on my Under Armour Association board. So I went there in Atlanta week one. And then after that, I came back, um, went through my notes and the film, kind of broke down some highlights. They're on Twitter right now because uh, I tweeted out some highlights to each guy. Kerry Booth is not a, a finished product. He, he talked about how J.P. Estrella is still growing into his body. Ironically, those guys are going to be teammates next year at Brewster Academy. Um, neither one elected to reclassify. Uh, for Kerry Booth, that plan, course of action might have made more sense because he is not as far along physically. He's got to keep filling out. The reason for the intrigue is the overlap of size and skill. Obviously, um, he comes from, from good genes. But, you know, with his front court size and his ability to stretch the floor, he shows some glimpses of athleticism when he's in open space, but doesn't yet have a strong enough body to play through contact. And the other thing with Kerry Booth is he is as high of an has as high of a basketball intellect as you would expect for a GM son. He's a very smart player uh, in the front court. So just like Estrella, you can run offense with him. Kerry Booth, not a finished product. His best days are ahead of him. If you're deciding who the best player is right now, you're going to be lower on him. If you're deciding who the best prospect is long-term, which is what I think uh, evaluators and and college coaches are doing, uh, you are going to be higher on his, his long-term projection. So because his projection is longer, like we could have a situation where maybe would his pool of programs recruiting him, could that expand even more in your opinion? Yeah. I I just, you know, I don't like, he's not a one and done candidate in my mind. He needs, he needs, um, you know, time to, to grow out, to, to, to fill out, pardon me, to grow and fill out. Um, he's got a little hitch in the way he shoots, even though he makes threes, you know, his, even his gait when he's running the floor, that could be more fluid. He's just a guy who needs time. And that's not, um, you know, for big kids, that's, that's pretty normal. I'm going to go at player, uh, outside the top 100, 247 sports rankings. I couldn't help but notice him, uh, he'll also feature into a story that I'm going to have for later this week. But uh, we are one out of Pennsylvania, Thomas Hawk. Got it. This. Come on. Yeah, yeah. And the, the best part about this is the way he is it, that he spells his name H-A-U-G-H. And he pronounces it like the bird, like Hawk. Hawk if I'm yeah, right. yeah. It's Thomas Hawk, but it's H-A-U-G-H. This, I, I mean, this he, is- he, he seems, he, I don't know. Again, I'm trying to give a little highlights to guys who stood out to me. He's one who clearly stood out to me, uh, a lot of potential. And frankly, uh, I say this, but he just seems underrated. <laughs> like he's literally underrated. I don't know where he, he's just well, not. I will take, I, I, you know, if he is, that's on me. And I'll say this. And, and um, obviously he's committed to Florida. He's a guy that could have gone in 2022 because he graduated. He's electing to go back and do a post-grad year. Two years ago, he was six foot seven. He has now been measured at six foot ten. Uh, that is super relevant because with the way he moves at six foot ten, um, now you're talking about a potentially highly versatile uh, front court defender. And he's not a guy who's going to go out and get you 20 consistently. In fact, I saw him play five high school games this season. He didn't have double figures in any of the five games, literally. His high school coach and I were literally laughing about the fact that, you know, his high school coach said to me, he said, Florida, you were probably going nuts. He sucked every time you saw him play. Um, so it was, uh, but kept growing, maintained his mobility at every stretch. He plays the right way. He is a, a guy who impacts winning. He's a Marco Jackson's teammate. He's content to move the ball. He can finish around the rim. He's got shooting potential. And you're talking about a super versatile front court defender. So if he hits, and that's the kind of term that, that we don't often use in high school, even though we should, if he hits, he could hit big because you're talking about a six ten front court guy who knows how to play, who moves the ball who has some shooting potential to develop and is going to be able to be switchable defensively. And that's a prototype that does pan out long-term. So 
not going to be the type of loud stat stuffing performance that gets you all the accolades in, in high school or AAU, but has markers that, that translate to potential success in the future. Last player uh, out of the greater Baltimore area, um, I guess maybe might be a, a Maryland lean here. He's a big, maybe 6'10", Derek Queen. I believe he's going to be at Montverde uh, down in Florida for this upcoming season. Uh, it seems like still something of a project, but uh, you know you couldn't help but notice him. Uh, at least I couldn't when I watched him play. Uh, how much development is there still to go versus finished product? Having said that, like you can clearly see there's like development to go. What's the what's the rundown on him? And do you think he'll eventually be a Terrapin? Well, he's a 24. So he's got two years left of high school. And he was he was a guy who was recognized at a really early age. In fact, he was number one in the country as a as a sophomore. Um, or, I'm sorry, at the tail end of his freshman year. So he was in COVID. I remember there was um, the first NIBC event at, at St. James in Virginia. He was there and it was like the only game we were able to see live. And the freshman was dominating and, and really, um, you know, just jumping into people's field of vision in terms of a, a really intriguing long-term prospect in the same way Cooper Flagg and Cameron Boozer did this past week. Transferred to Montverde, had some growing pains this past year, but he's still got two more years. He's older for 2024, so it is possible you see him go up to 23 and kind of follow that GG Jackson path. That's not, you know, I don't have that on any authority. I'm just saying based on his, his age, that's a possibility. He's a finesse big. He's highly skilled. He has got phenomenal hands. I mean, this it doesn't matter where you throw it, he catches it. And, and that also makes him an elite rebounder. He's a passer. He's got really good footwork. I'd like to see that um, that touch start to develop into a little bit more floor spacing. We haven't seen that as much as I thought. And he's got to continue to work on his, his conditioning. He's made really good strides in the last year, but it's a work in progress. Uh, and as I said, just a rising junior at this point in time. Adam, I, I barely know what to say here. This has been such a productive, free-flowing conversation with no long asides, no talk about camel fighting, dodo birds, leaky black. It's been, it's is been. That what, is that how you guys usually roll? Well, I mean, well, I mean we, you never, you really never know. Uh, last year when we did this, I, character- I hit the plus fifteen cycle on the tab when, the, and I hear dodo birds. I'm like, yep, yeah, plus skip fifteen, <laughs> skip fifteen. You might not be the only one, my man. Uh, last year, Paris <laughs> spent about twenty minutes of this podcast absolutely. Uh, slandering Jalen Duran. Now that somewhat aged well because he said he's never going to be the number one pick in the draft. But there was none of that on this on this year's <laughs> edition. Before we get out of here, for those people that do care about the rankings, uh, and let's just focus on twenty three. What is our timeline on when two four seven will refresh and and we'll get a, a new arrangement, a new echelon, if you will, on on where those guys stand. So I don't think there has been a, a definitive date established just yet, um, but it's certainly it's in the coming weeks because we have, you know, the recruiting period is over now. Everybody's shutting it down. Uh, for me, that means just because I'm kind of a basketball nerd, I'm going to go back and, and watch all the film. And as I said, try and dive into whatever I missed. Um, but I think certainly in the coming weeks, you will you will see a, an updated rankings that, that will be potentially uh, brand new and obviously have a new number one now that Gigi Jackson is in the class of 2022. Gigi Jackson is in the class of 2022. He will be playing college basketball at South Carolina. Lamont Paris got himself a high profile commit. We'll see how that works. 
Adam Finkelstein is uh, the director of scouting. He is our he is our, our top dog here at 247 Sports. We are thrilled to have him. If you watch the YouTube channel, by the way, please do subscribe. But you have seen him on there plenty. Him and Mr. David Cobb have been doing plenty of stuff, and he was all over the NBA draft as well. It's been a pleasure having you. On a personal note, I will have stuff tied to the this past week. I was on an assignment that I'm eager to share and talk about. That'll go on the site later this week, either Tuesday or Wednesday. So we'll, we'll save it for that. We will also still continue to have our summer shoot-around series. We got two more schools coming this week as well, so you can be on the lookout for those in the in the, in the the feed as is. Adam, I appreciate you coming on, and and to be transparent, your, your patience with uh, with the self stuff, which was emanating. And You got to break news. You got to break news. I appreciate you having me. It was, uh, it was good seeing you this week at the Peach. Absolutely. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Please do subscribe if you have not already. GP will be on the next episode with yours truly. Until then, we will talk to you soon, and thanks for tuning in. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.